Let's go ahead and pray. God, our Father, Lord, we are grateful for your kindness and your love. We're grateful, God, for your mighty power and your awesome deeds that you work. We're grateful, Lord, that you are a God who is filled with joy and your heart is filled with love. In fact, you are love and we do praise you and honor you this day. We thank you that you are a God of justice and righteousness. We thank you, Lord, that you are a God of grace and of mercy and of comfort. We praise you. We thank you, Lord, for all that you have done. We thank you for all that you are to us. We ask as we um, look at your word today that you would fill our hearts with your truth, that you would help us, God, to think about you in ways that are consistent with who you are. And we ask, Lord, that you would challenge us to grow from this place forward. And uh, we just ask, Father, that you would give us the hearing ear and the seeing eye. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we're off into this um, series on the Savior and the cross and the gospel. And uh, as I was just praying and preparing and wondering what the Lord would have me to teach, um, it was just so evident to me that these areas of theology in the evangelical church are among the most important, and uh, they are frequently and and normally the issues that are are under attack continually and constantly. And um, if you haven't noticed, we're in a war, and it's a war for truth, and it's a war for the souls of mankind. And it's a war that's been won already by the Lord Jesus Christ, who is currently at the right hand of God, sitting and waiting for his enemies to be made his footstool. It is through his work on the cross that that was accomplished. And it is through the almighty providence of God that all of those things are finally coming to their consummation in these late or last days. And uh, so, as we con- consider what is happening in the church and in this age, and how God has worked among mankind since the cross, we find that these issues of Jesus Christ, his person and his work, and the message about who he is, to really be the central issues in the Christian faith, uh, if you will. The, the whole controversy uh, in the Reformation um, was centered around issues related to the gospel itself and related to the cross and the atoning work of Christ. And uh, even though there was large agreement in the Protestant and the, uh, and the Catholic uh, view of the person of Christ and who he was, there was a sharp disagreement about the gospel and the nature of saving faith. 
and so, if you will, uh, this issue is so central that it, it would create such a thing as the Reformation, which, as you know, changed the face of Western civilization, not to mention the face of Christianity. And so, if you will, it's rather apparent to me as a pastor that these issues need to be settled in the mind of young Christians. What I mean is, this is Christianity 101. Just like I, I frequently, when we're talking about the character and nature of God, I'll, I'll, I will make that statement that these are some of the most basic things that we need to learn as Christians. Well, here with these issues of, of, uh, of the cross and the gospel and what all has taken place and what is it that the Bible presents to us about these truths are fundamental to our faith. And so these are things that we need to know. We need to not just uh, know where to find these things in the Bible. We need to be able to articulate them without even having a Bible in our hands. When, when you understand the gospel, then you're an effective witness for Christ. If you don't understand the gospel, you're not an effective witness for Christ because what you're espousing is not the truth. You must understand the gospel in order to communicate it effectively to people so that they can be saved. It is through the gospel that people get saved and reconciled to God. Amen? Which is the reason Jesus died on the cross. Amen? So uh, it's, it's extremely important for us to have these issues Um, central in our minds, central in our thinking, and to have a biblical view of the ins and outs of these issues. So if you will, uh, that is is why uh, we're on these topics, and and Lord willing, we'll be on these topics throughout the whole class all the way until May. And um, so I kind of have it broken into three sections, and if you've seen the outline, it's effectively the person and the work and the message of Christ. And so we're going to be starting out with the Savior, the person of Jesus Christ. And uh, we're going to go through and look at just a brief view of who is Jesus Christ according to the Bible. And uh, if you will, that that is uh, what titles the section that we're starting out into this morning. And so as, as we think about that, <clears throat> it's important then to recognize that an understanding of Jesus Christ comes from the Bible. Okay? There, there, in, 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 the, in, in the secular world, <laughs> there's been very little effort on anybody's part to try to give us an accurate understanding of who Christ is. If you will, that's always been relegated to the religious realm. Does this sound okay? Is it ringing back there? Is it too loud? It's a little bit of ringing. Sorry, got to get that right. How's that? Is that a little better? Okay. Everybody still hear me? No. You got no volume at all now. No volume at all? Can y'all hear me on the back row? Okay. All right. Okay, so um, let's talk about the fact that Christ is the Messiah. He's the promised one. And when we think about that, really we're making reference to the Old Testament, right? 
And if you will, that's going to be the, the topic of our study probably for the first two to three weeks, okay? Um, but I wanted to kind of open up with uh, some statements that really aren't focusing on Christ in the Old Testament so much, but just a kind of a broader view so that we can get some basic principles down. And one is, is that if we're going to understand who Christ is, we have to understand who Christ is from the Bible. It's the Bible that reveals Christ to us. Without the Bible, we would have almost nothing in, in the way of a historical narrative that describes the person of the Lord Jesus Christ to us. Not to mention the fact that the Bible is the Word of God, right? Written down for us to reveal what? Christ. Amen? So uh, we need to have a biblical view of the Savior and His work. And quite frankly... You know, a lot of times you might be trying to witness to people and talking to them about Christ, and it becomes evident rather quickly that they think you are from another planet. (laughs) And you begin to tell them things about Christ and about God, and they scratch their head and they ask questions and they wonder and they look at you like, where in the world do you get these funny ideas? And, And the only reason for that is you've been reading your Bible. And they haven't been reading their Bible. They may not even have one, right? And so their understanding of God, their understanding of Christ, if it hasn't been derived from the Bible, he's just a God of their own making. He's a God that makes them feel good. And we have people all over, especially in America, right? We have people in America who have a God that they worship who they think is the God of the Bible, who in fact is simply a God of their own imagination. He's not the God of the Bible at all. And when you begin to tell them about the God of the Bible, they grow fangs on you. And they don't want to hear about the Holy One of of God. They don't want to hear about a holy God. right? They want to hear about a God that is uh, full of warm fuzzies and... and, uh, He's just a big grandpa in the sky who pats everybody on the head and smiles and giggles. <laughs> and, and so the, I'm telling you, the reason for that is people simply haven't read the Bible and understood what it's communicating about God. So when you begin to tell them things that are offensive, we begin to talk about God being offended by sin, and we begin to talk, embrace the whole idea of suffering and death in the world. These are very serious things that, that, that really, when you get right down to it, they're horrible things. And, and thus the nature of biblical controversy. Thus the nature of, of man being separated from God and needing a Savior and, and all of these things. There's a great negative influence in the world. It's called sin. Because of it, people are dying and suffering. Amen? That's why we need a savior. And so when we, when we engage people in conversation and philosophical conversation about those things, the nature of that conversation can be, can be, be antagonistic. Amen? So anyway, it's important for us to understand who Christ is from the Bible. When we consider the savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, it is imperative that we understand who he is and what he has accomplished through the lens of the Bible, Holy Scripture. Obviously, this is because the Bible is the word of God. 
given to man to reveal God and communicate the divine thoughts and intentions of God to mankind and for mankind. Further, the Bible is the most complete accounting of Christ's person and his work. There isn't any other record like the Bible about Christ. You with me? And actually, in the Bible, God was writing and recording about Christ 1,500 years before he was born. Okay, and so it, did, it didn't just start with the gospel accounts in the New Testament. It started all the way back in the first book of Moses, in the first part of the first book of Moses. Okay? Um, and so, you know, there isn't any other place to go to learn about Christ and his work. The Bible not only presents accurate historical narratives of Christ's life and teachings, but communicates to us the living and powerful words of God to us, which are transforming both to our personal life and to our cultures and societies. And so, you know, the Bible is a supernatural book. The scripture says in in Hebrews 4 that the word of God is living and it's active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him to whom we have to do. And so the Bible claims of itself to have words that are alive. They are living words. They're active words that do what? They come in and they judge the thoughts and intentions of our heart. And because of that, these powerful words of God in the Bible are life-transforming. They're not just life-transforming. They transform whole cultures. They transform societies. The world has taken a new shape ever since Christ appeared in the world and the accounts of his life and teachings were written down and propagated through the ages. And any time those have come to to, to find uh, a prominent place in public culture, that culture has found a huge and immense blessing through the revelation and the light that comes through the teaching about Christ. Anybody who's got their goggles on can, can see that Western culture and Western civilization has found its prop, prosperity primarily through the things revealed in the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ and the effect that Christianity has had on that Western culture. You see that? And so it doesn't just change our personal life. It changes everything. Amen? Well, beyond this, it is helpful to understand that the Bible is a unified whole. So when we start talking about the scripture, we, we, we shouldn't think of the Old Testament and the New Testament as these separate parts with separate meanings. And what, what we're saying is the Bible is a unified whole. That from the beginning pages of Genesis all the way to the last pages of Revelation, there is a narrative that all fits together. And that this is the living word of God. God has communicated it to us. It is written down. And here we have it in this late day. Every one of us has one in our hands. And this is so that God can reveal who he is and what he has done to us. 
so that we can be saved. This is the word. This is the word of God, which, by the way, is a title in this book for Jesus, the the God man. He is the living word. Amen. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Right. And so we see that even God himself is called this word. And there's this supernatural relationship between the words of God and the person of God. You see that? And so we need to understand, though, when we talk about the Old Testament and the New Testament, we, we can't just you know, look back at some Old Testament narrative and say, well, that's the Old Testament. It's not just the Old Testament. It's, it's the Old Testament which is woven in together with the New Testament to bring us a, a message, a specific message that didn't change from the Old Testament to the New Testament. There's just a more complete and fuller revelation in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ of Old Testament truth. But God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not changing. His word doesn't change. God didn't change his mind when when he finally graduated from the school of hard knocks trying to figure out how to save men. And, And then all of a sudden in the New Testament he had a whole new plan. Okay? God is not like that. Those are faulty thoughts about God. Right. So what we're saying is, as far back as the first words in the book of Genesis, all the way to the book of Revelation, the Bible is a unified whole. It has a unified message. It has a message that is consistent throughout the entire book. And if we're going to have an understanding of Christ, we need to understand Christ from the whole Bible, not just from the New Testament. Although the New Testament is a much brighter and clearer, more circumspect revelation of who he is. Because he came, and he, he lived his life, and he revealed himself to us. And he brought meaning to the words of the Old Testament in his teachings, and so on and so forth. But if you will, everything Jesus was teaching was right out of the Old Testament. Why? Because that was the word of God that was written at that time. And so he took that word, and he did what? He brought expression to it. He explained it to us. He was the prophet who was to come and teach us and show us. And that's exactly what he did. Amen? Amen. He, he made the word of God even clearer to us. So the Bible is a unified whole. It's 66 books written by 40 authors present to us a complete narrative which outlines human history from the creation of mankind to the destruction of the present heavens and earth and subsequent restoration of the same by God, culminating in the eternal kingdom of God in the new heavens and the end earth, which God will create. Now that was a mouthful of a sentence. But here's what, what I'm saying there. Listen, the Bible is a narrative describing what is happening in the creation from the creation of the world until the destruction of the world. Human history is outlined in the Bible. And it didn't just end with the gospel accounts of Jesus. The Bible gives us a prophetic understanding of the destiny of the world that we live in. It gives us a prophetic understanding of mankind's state beyond the grave. It tells us everything about life and death that we need to know. Right? And it tells us how the world is going to end. Which, by the way, the world is going to end. This world, this present world is going to be destroyed by God. 
And that, that won't be the end. That will just be the end of this present age. But God will create a new heavens and a new earth, the scripture says, wherein dwells righteousness. Right? And all of us who love God look to that with great hope and eagerness. Amen? So we need to see in this biblical record that, you know, all of human history is outlined for us there in the Bible. And these are important things to see as we consider the Bible as a unified whole. This unified whole we refer to as redemptive history. Okay? Now you're going to hear me using those terms a lot. And if you think about the meaning of those terms, consider what's being said. Redemptive history. Okay? Now we're not just talking about history, but we're talking about history as it relates to redemption. Okay? When we think about Jesus Christ as the Savior, what are we saying? Well, he is saving. Amen? Which is what his name means. His name means the Lord saves. Right? But the, the point is, is that in this saving work, he has done what? He has redeemed us. He has bought us back from sin. He has paid a price. There was a redemption price. And so history becomes in Christ redemptive. It's something that is related to this whole idea of being bought back. It relates to this whole idea of Christ being a Savior. When you think about Jesus Christ, who is He? He's the Savior and Lord. Amen? I don't want you to be uncomfortable because I keep calling Him the Savior. I know a lot of evangelicals who believe in Lordship um, are defensive when you are only referring to Christ as Savior because He's also the Lord. We're going to get there, okay? So just hang in there with me. We will talk about the Lordship of Christ under the title of uh, the Supremacy of Christ. Okay, we'll get there. But understanding then that as we read through the Bible, okay, there's this whole thing woven through the Bible of what we call redemptive history. Okay? In other words, God in history, is redeeming. He's saving. And through the biblical narrative, that's what we see. Okay? I hope to show that to you this morning. That is, when we talk about the Bible as a unified whole, and we refer to it as redemptive history, it is the history of redemption, which is the primary purpose of God in the creation of the world and mankind. Since this redemption is the main theme of the narrative of the Bible, we find the redeeming work of Jesus Christ and his person, who is the Savior of the world, to be the focal point of all of human history. Now think about what we're saying. We're saying that the Bible presents a narrative that lays out for us human history from the beginning to the end. And that in that uh, narrative of the Bible is revealed the Redeemer, Christ, the Savior. And so because of that, he becomes the focal point of everything that's in the Bible. You with me? So when you read the Bible, what should you see? Christ. You should see Christ. You should see God's redeeming 
work. Okay? And that's what we're saying. When, as, when we refer to the biblical narrative, in a very broad sense, we look at it as redemptive history. Why? Because in the course of history, God has sought to redeem. That's why. Okay? And I want to show you how the Bible describes that. I'm, I'm hoping that this might even transform your whole view of how you read the Bible and how you think about it and how you understand it. And I'm telling you this morning, if you don't see it as redemptive history, you need to. Because that's what it is. It's a narrative describing the redeeming work of God in the Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay? Um, But even like, for instance, in the New Testament, John chapter 4, verse 42, they were saying to the woman, the woman at the well gets saved and and, and uh, she goes and, and tells her people in her village. And there they say, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard ourselves and know that this one, that is Jesus, is indeed the Savior of the world. And, and Jesus is presented in the Bible as the Savior of the world. Think about that. Think about the, the volumes of things that are said in that little phrase, Savior of the world. Number one, the world needs a savior. Amen? You know, m- most people in the world are still running around scratching their head and haven't realized that they need to be saved. They turn on the news and the world's falling apart. It's coming apart the seams. And nobody has enough uh, uh, insight to understand we got a big problem on our hands. Amen? Listen, the world needs to be saved. And God has provided a Savior. Amen? Okay. Okay, so hear this statement. Jesus Christ is the focus of the entire Bible, both Old and New Testaments. Sound pretty simple? Everybody with me on that one? Yes. Jesus Christ is the focus of the entire Bible, both Old and New Testaments. Therefore, if we seek to learn about the person and work of Christ, it must come from the special revelation of God in the Bible given to us to explain and reveal Christ himself. Okay, here's what I'm saying. If we're going to understand who Christ is, it's got to come from the Bible. Now, let me tell you about an attack on this, on this very thought. How many of you have heard, for the, heard of the search for the historical Jesus? A lot of noise about that lately, right? Let me tell you what that is. That's a bunch of liberal theologians who don't like the message about Christ in the Bible. They hate it. They are offended by it, and they hate the Christ of the Bible. So what are they doing? They're on a search for a new Jesus, one that fits better into their their worldview, right? Right? Because they're not satisfied with the revelation of Christ that they have in the Bible. And I want you to beware of that. You know, it's a very deceiving thing. And so, you know, what we have is we have all these new Bible books popping up. Right? You notice that? You notice how many new gospel accounts we've, we've seemed to have come up with in the last 20 years? Isn't that amazing? All of a sudden we got new Bible books, which are telling us more insight about Jesus. Right? You understand? 
and and you know through archaeological means you know they're 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 looking every way they can they're looking for a way to redefine who Jesus is okay it's not to say that everybody who's in, involved with the search for the historical Jesus has improper motives i'm not saying that but i'm saying as a whole that movement is a movement meant to discredit the Bible and to discredit the Jesus of the Bible and to redefine who he is because they don't like who it says he is and they don't like what he said. Okay? So beware of that. Beware of that. However, I do believe that when they find historical evidence more and more as they're looking for Jesus, it is going to bear, the Bible is going to bear witness of what they find. Because the Bible is truth. And and if it doesn't, it's not the word of God. But we know it is the word of God. Amen? Therefore, it's inerrant. It's infallible. It's without error. Right? Okay. So then, this is something to understand when you're a witness for Christ. Okay? There isn't any other revelation about Christ except the Bible. I mean... You could you could you could count on one hand, you know, solid references that give us any body of information about the historical person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, there just isn't that much said about him, right? Who can tell me uh, the secular writing that's most popular that refers to the Lord Jesus? Who's that? Josephus. Josephus, right. Um, most of you guys probably even have the works of Josephus on your shelf, right? Why? Why do you have the works of Josephus on your shelf? Because it's one of the few secular accounts that makes reference to Jesus. Anybody know what Josephus said about Jesus? Anybody? I can't quote it verbatim, but it goes something like this. There was this one Jesus, a Nazarene, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I think he says, a man from Nazareth, if it be lawful to even call him a man because of the great signs done by him. That's about all Josephus has to say about Jesus. It's very little, right? And, and uh, outside of Josephus, there's very few other things that are said about him, Okay. And uh, the, the point is, the point I'm making is, there isn't any other Jesus except the Jesus that's recorded in the Bible. Which, by the way, here all these archaeologists have this most comprehensive and written historical accounts right before their eyes. I mean, and, and of course, they know the Bible is a huge source of history. They've been using it for thousands of years now, right? But they just can't get over that one guy in there, Jesus. And the things he said. Because they find themselves in big trouble when they hear what Jesus said. And it disturbs them to the deepest part of their soul. So they're looking for ways to try to find a nicer Jesus. (laughs) Frankly, that's really what they're after. They're looking for a way to justify their sin. So... Jesus is revealed in the Bible. That's where we find who Jesus is. And that's where our understanding of who Jesus is must come from. You know, 
it's a lot like, you know, um, in Mormonism. You know, they'll come and they'll give you their, their gospel message and then they'll say, okay, now, what we want you to do is we want you to pray. And when you go pray, you'll get this burning in the bosom. How many of you heard that before? Right? And, and you'll know that you know that you know that this Mormon gospel is true. Now what are they asking you to do? They're asking you to define truth based on some warm fuzzy that you're going to get in your heart when you go get in your closet and pray. So, so now what is your faith based on? Is it based on a real historical person who is the God-man, who came from heaven to do the will of God, who was the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us and performed something outside of ourselves that saves us, and that somehow we're going to have some burning in our bosom that's going to make this thing uh, uh, true to us? How subjective can you be? How subjective can you be? And you see, the Bible's not subjective. It's objective. It's something that you look at that's real, that's solid, that's communicating something very specific and absolute. And it doesn't change in its message. It's objective. We look at it. We see it. It is what it is. It's not subject to our interpretation. It's not subject to how we feel about it. This is the revelation of God in Jesus Christ. Okay? And it's an objective thing. It's something that is outside of ourself that we look at. And it's not dependent on us what truth is. Truth is what it is. And Jesus is who he is regardless of what we think about him. Amen? Amen? Question is, is your faith in that Jesus of the Bible? And is that the Jesus of your understanding? I hope so. Otherwise, you could easily be led astray by, by something like Mormonism which is a doctrine from hell, which doesn't save anybody. The Mormon gospel cannot save anybody. Only the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ revealed in the New Testament in the Bible saves. They do. They Absolutely. She, she's saying they teach a different Jesus, which is exactly my point. Right? They have redefined who Christ is. The Jehovah's Witnesses do the same thing, do they not? Which is why this doctrine of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ is so important. Okay? It's extremely important. It, 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 is, it has been the plumb line of what you call heresy and not heresy all down through the ages of the church. How is it that we define the person of Jesus Christ? The book of 1 John lays that out for us. He tells us this, this is what is important. Has God come in the flesh, namely Jesus Christ? Anyone who denies that, he says, is an antichrist. Right? You with me? Okay, so it's important that the Jesus that we understand is the Jesus of the Bible. Well, consider the plan of redemption, okay? And I'm going somewhere here that I want you to see. When you think about the whole narrative of the Bible... And you think about the fact that Jesus is the promised Messiah and that his life and ministry is the fulfillment of those promises and that the New Testament is the record of those promises, consider something even broader than that. And that is, in the mind of God, he has a plan. Okay? And it's a plan to do what? 
to redeem. Thus, and therefore, history is redemptive history. It is the outworking of God's redeeming plan. You with me? We call it the plan of redemption. When we consider the narrative of the Old and New Testaments, it is important to see the providence of Almighty God in the outworking of his eternal plans in human history. All of the events of history are the outworking of plans which God has made from all eternity. In fact, providence is assumed and implied constantly by biblical writers, as we shall see. For instance, in Hebrews 1, there it says that in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. So here the Bible is saying it's through Jesus Christ that the world was created. And here the Bible is saying that he even upholds everything by his powerful word. Now, family, that's providence. That's providence in the Bible. And you see, the Bible is always referring to this providence, which, which is God working out his plan. He's providentially involved in the events of history, working out his plan, right? Can I get an amen? Amen. All right. Colossians 1, for by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth. Here is another emphatic statement about Jesus Christ. Okay, listen. <laughs> By him all things were created. Who is your biblical Jesus? He's the creator. You see that? Both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him and for him, and he is before all things And in him all things hold together. Okay? Again, another emphatic statement about God's providence. Specifically, God the Son here. And his providential workings in all things. Right? He's holding all things together, the Bible says. That everything was created by him and for him. Even angels were created by him and for him. Amen? Acts 17.28 says, For in him we live and move and exist. Job 34 says, If if he would uh, uh, gather to himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh would perish together and man would return to the dust. That God is literally holding the flesh of our bodies together. It says here, by his power and by his spirit. Right? By his breath and his spirit. Therefore, when we think about God's activity of providence in his world, we should think of it as God working out the plans that he has made for his creation from all eternity. Can somebody check and see if there's a marker back there? I didn't grab one uh, that I can write on this board with. So what I'm saying is when we think about God in the Bible and we think about what's happening in history, Think about the fact that God is providential, that he's working it out. Thank you so much. That God's working out a plan here. He's got a plan. You know what that means, right? That means he thought about it beforehand. 
You with me? And, and so what's happening in the course of history, God's working out a plan. He's working out a plan. He's fulfilling what he planned to do. He's got a big building going on here, doesn't he? Listen, not only does, does God control nature, but because of this is in every action directing the events of history. The scripture plainly declares that God is the primary cause behind everything that happens. Now, here I am. I'm just reminding you about providence, okay? You remember what providence is, right? We, we learned about that in great detail. That God is directing every action of everything that happens on the face of the world to, to work out the plans which he has planned from before creation, Okay? This is providence, and the scripture plainly lays this down. Lamentations 3.37 says, Who is there who speaks, and it comes to pass, unless the Lord has commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both good and ill go forth? In other words, whatever's happening in the world, whether it's good or bad, didn't it come from the mouth of God? That's the, the prophet's question, and the answer is, Yes, of course it did. Why? Because he's the king. He's the providential king working out his plans. It doesn't happen unless God has decreed it. Amen? Of course, we remember the discussion about God's sovereign will and how he brings to pass his sovereign will, right? Through providence. Or in Isaiah 45, there it refers to God as the one forming light and creating darkness, causing well-being and creating calamity, I am the Lord who does all these. Right? He causes the rain and the sun to fall on the good and the evil. Amen? Now, the fact that events are seen to be under the providence of God is plainly evident in Scripture. God is providentially working His will in all things to accomplish His own purposes for the display of His own glory, name, and power. And this is exactly what Ephesians chapter 1 says. It says there, He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention which he purposed in him, that is Jesus, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things upon the earth, in him, that is, in Christ also, We have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to his purpose who works all things after the counsel of his own will. Okay? Y'all are very familiar with that scripture. But here the scripture is, is shining this huge bright light on us. And it's saying, listen, God made known to us the mystery of his will. He unfolded a mystery for us that has been kept hidden for ages past. What is the unfolding of that mystery, Paul? The summing up of all things in Christ, whether things in the heavens or on the earth, because God is working it all out according to his purpose that that he has willed to happen. And all of these things are happening under the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul says is the unfolding of the mystery of God's will. Now in this late day, what do we see? We see that Christ has come. He's given his life for the redemption of mankind on the cross. And now the gospel message is preached to all the nations. 
It's a free offer of the gospel. And justification by God is being offered freely to all who will believe. That's the message. Amen? Amen. And it's gone out into all the world. And listen, God is saying, He's commanding all men everywhere, Paul says, to repent. For He's fixed a day when He will judge the world in righteousness through the one whom He has appointed. Amen? And that's the message. God is coming. He's going to judge the world. You better repent and you better get your life right with God through Jesus Christ. Amen? And this mystery has been unfolded to us in, in Christ and in the gospel. Amen? It's no secret anymore. Look, it's even written in the book for us to read. We can read the last page of the story. Amen? Could he be any more clear? I don't think so. I don't think so. Well, so think about this. Now Now think about what we're saying. Now we're talking about the person of Christ being revealed in the Bible and that in the Bible, what we see is a narrative of God working out redemption through history and that that, that redemption is happening according to a plan. All right? And so, if you will... Consider then that in the course of history, God's purpose to redeem fallen mankind from their sin by sending his son Jesus Christ into the world to give his life as a sacrifice and be raised from the dead is primary among all the things which God has purposed to do. Family, listen to this. God has purposed to do this thing. What thing? Redemption through Jesus Christ. On the cross. That was always the plan. It's been the plan from the beginning. It's going to be the plan that's ultimately fulfilled in the end when it's all said and done and God has worked it out the way he wanted it. God has purpose to do these things. He has a plan. It's all going according to plan. God doesn't have enemies who thwart his plan. He's God. Everything else that exists is a creature. He's the creator. He's the sustainer. God has all the power. Understand? This is my Father's world. Right? And though the, 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 uh, the, the um, I'm sorry, I can't recall the words, but he's saying, though it's so often things are wrong, he says, God is the ruler yet. Amen? And we look around and we see evil and we wonder and we scratch our heads and we say, God, how can it be like this? Right? And yet we know that God has a plan. He's working it all out. Amen? It's all part of the plan here. So, if you will, look at this chart. I want you to see this chart. And what this chart is depicting is the the biblical narrative. Okay, so if you look down at the little timeline, you see creation, and then you see the new heavens and the new earth. Okay? And if you will, it's just kind of like a... Um, a little timeline for human history. And in that timeline for human history, you see all these little things that are listed there. What are those? Those are Bible texts. Okay? And in that biblical narrative, what you see is the outworking of redemptive history. So that when you think about Christ, when you think about Jesus, and your understanding of who he is, and what the Bible is actually saying... What you have is a record in the Bible of redemptive history. 
It starts at creation. The Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Right? And it tells you, you know, God created the heavens, then he put man on the earth, and then what happens? The fall. Right? And then from the time of the fall, right on through the storyline of the Bible, what you have is a tracing of the genealogy of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ from the book of Genesis all the way through the Old Testament. And you know what the New Testament opens up with? A genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ. It opens up with a genealogy exposing the fact that the biblical narrative in the Old Testament is a record of the genealogy of the line of Christ right down to the person himself. Why? Because he is the focus of the entire Bible. And what the New Testament gospel writer intends to do is to say to us, Hello, world! He's here! Which is what the angels did on that great night that we celebrated Christmas time, right? They showed up and they said what? I bring you good tidings of great joy. Why? The Savior is here! Amen? Amen. I don't know about you, but in my house, we're dancing every year, once a year, when we celebrate that. Uh, For me, it's good tidings of great joy. And yes, I celebrate it every day of my life, but you know what? We have a very special occasion. We have an annual reminder of what God has done. And we read that biblical account and we wonder with those shepherds. Amen? Amen. Glorious. Beautiful. Okay, so uh, what I want you to see is is that in the biblical narrative, all these Bible texts are saying to us, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He's the focal point of it all. And so the Bible gives us so much information about who this person of Jesus is and what you find is you you look at these biblical texts and you see the Savior and his work all over them. I mean, some people will tell you Jesus is on every page of the Bible. And, and other people will scratch their head and say, well, well, what do you mean by that? He didn't even he wasn't even in the Old Testament. Right? Now, is Jesus in the Old Testament? Yes, yes he is. Why? Because it's a record of redemptive history. Okay? And it's a mystery that God kept hidden for long ages until the time was fully come. And he sent his son. And, 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 and it's the fullness of time in the sense that that was the right time in the course of human history that God decided to bring Christ and for the cross to happen. And it was through the means of the Jews And it was through the means of the Romans and the whole situation that was there that he was put to death on a cross. Right? And all those things just came to consummation at that fullness of time. Are you with me? And so as you read through the historical narrative of the Bible, family, what's being unfolded is God's plan of redemption. From the very first words of the Bible right on to the last words of the Bible, it's an unfolding of God's plan of redemption. Okay, And and so, if you will, in the Old Testament, we have messianic types and prophecies in the Old Testament that point to Christ's saving work at the cross. And I just listed a few. I mean, you guys know they're all over the pages of the Old Testament. Right? We're going to look at a few. But look, in the New Testament... 
These references reveal an eternal plan of redemption from before creation. Now Paul says, look, God made known to us the mystery of his will. Christ came, he exposed it all. He explained it all to us. He showed us what it was. What is it? It's an eternal plan that God's been working out throughout all the ages and Christ has become the focal point of it all. That's the message of the gospel. You with me? Jesus is the focal point of human history. That's the message of the gospel. Right? Okay. So, if you will, um, when you look at the biblical text, you need to see it as this unified whole that's revealing God's historical redemptive history, his plan of redemption. That's what the Bible is. It's a record of God's redeeming work. And it all comes to focus and fruition at the cross at Calvary with the person of the Lord Jesus hanging there and dying. Okay? Okay. This plan of redemption opens up a whole new understanding for us then concerning God's activity in directing the events of history. We see then and therefore that Jesus Christ and his atoning work at the cross become the very focal point of human history and thus the key event in the history of the world. Okay? Listen, what's the most important thing that ever happened in the history of the world? The cross, right? Some might argue, well, the creation. Well, of course, we had to be created. But then history began, right? And since then, what's the most important thing? The cross, the Savior, his work, his appearance. The word became flesh and he dwelt among us, right? You with me? Is that what consumes your thinking? When you think about the world around you, Does this thought hover in the back of your mind that what is going on in the world is all about Jesus and it's all about his cross and it's all about God's plan and that's why we're here. That's why I have another breath from God because I'm part of the plan and every living, breathing creature is part of the plan. Okay? I, I don't know how you think about this, but for me, it's a tremendous comfort to know that, listen, God's in control. Okay? I don't have to fix the world's problems tomorrow. I, I'm, if, if I had to do that, you know, that would be a little difficult. But me and Rody could probably figure it out, right? That's a big joke. That's a, that's a joke. We got that. I mean, you're with me, right? You understand that, listen, God's in control. He's working it out. It's all about Jesus, right? You read the Bible. Listen, the Bible is all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus from first to last. And, and, and this is what we have in the Bible. It's a, it's a narrative that is explaining and showing us the person of Jesus. Think about this. Listen. Another way of stating this is that everything before the cross is looking forward to the cross and all things after the cross look back at the cross. The cross of Jesus Christ is everything. More than this, the God-man, Christ Jesus, the one hanging on the cross, 
is the eternal Lord of history come to earth to display the awesome beauty of his divine character to us in an unfathomable way as to cause the whole creation to stand in awe, rejoicing with holy fear at the marvelous thing that he has done. You know, you start to get toward the back of the book and we get these panoramas in the book of Revelation. You know what Revelation is, right? It's the revelation of Jesus Christ, right? It's a revealing of Christ, right? So I I picked out this little picture that's in chapter 5, and here's what it says, verse 11 and following. And I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen, Amen, they said. And the elders fell down and worshipped. You see, it's all about Jesus Christ. And there's coming a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. You see, when we get to the end of the show, the focal point is still Jesus. And you know what the Bible calls him in that late day? The lamb that was slain. He's a redeemer. It's a redeeming work. And it was done through the sacrifice of himself. Amen? And family, that's the focal point of human history. You see right here? It's a cross. It's where Jesus, the Son of God, died. It's where God came in the flesh and gave his life as a sacrifice. A bleeding, dying God on a cross. That's the focal point of our existence. So when you think about Jesus, that's what ought to come to your mind. You ought to have these eschatological thoughts about him. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's big. And even though we got to live every day, day to day, which, by the way, if you'll cling to him, he'll walk with you. Amen? And he'll take you through every single day faithfully. He'll care for you and love you and meet all your needs. Amen? Amen. If you repent of your sin and trust him by faith. Right? But when it's all said and done, listen, it's all about him. He's the focus of it all. Amen? Amen? And when you read the Bible, understand this is a unified whole describing him, the person, the lamb that was slain. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this Bible that we have, God, that reveals Jesus. Oh, Lord, we do thank you and praise you for the precious blood of Christ, which washes away all our sins and makes us right with you. Oh, Lord, we do treasure Christ. We do treasure the cross 
and all that you have done for us. And we desire to be one with him. And so, Lord, draw us ever nearer to our beautiful Savior, the Lord Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.